Thanks, team. That's really great. Worship God together. So we continue our series on cascading faith through generations. And uh, for those who are just joining us, this is a study of the first few chapters of the book of Samuel. And uh, we've kind of, it's been a bit of a, a journey with Samuel. And it's introduced us to people like Eli and his sons. And today's reading, as it were, if it's been a hike and we've had some you know, detours and derailments and had to find the trail again, and uh, we're nowhere near the high point. In fact, today we enter the lowest valley of the whole series, and it's a valley from which Eli and Hophni and Phileas, uh, the sons of Eli, will uh, not emerge. So we want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. It is rather weird. I've just got to acknowledge this, that the series has brought us to Pentecost. Normally us preachers try and do better than I'm doing today. Um, we've come to Pentecost, which is the glory of God arriving in the person of his Holy Spirit. And my sermon ends with Ichabot, which means the glory has departed. So we're going to see if we're going to try and salvage this uh, and, and, and kind of make it land. Um, but it is just what it is. And sometimes we've got to acknowledge there are just really, really uh, demanding passages that stop and make us think. So that's where we dive in, 1 Samuel 4. And in verse 1, we, took, we read the first few lines out of Samuel's encounter. Remember Samuel's encounter last week, and he has to learn to recognize as God the voice he can already hear. You get that? It says Samuel did not know the Lord, but he could hear him. God was speaking. He just had not recognized. He couldn't say, oh, I know who's speaking. He had learned to recognize as God the voice that was already speaking to him. And he has that powerful encounter, and it finishes with, and Samuel's word came to all Israel, chapter 4 and verse 1. And then something happened, and the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer, the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Notice it's probably the young men who went to fight, and it's the old guys who asked the question. <laughs> Solution. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty. Notice this. He's like... The super strong God, Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. They couldn't move the Ark unless priests carried it, etc. And when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into camp, all Israel raised such a great Shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What is all this shouting coming from the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of Yahweh had come into the camp, 
the Philistines were afraid. They had better theology than Israel. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. Oh wait, yes it has, okay. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hands of, plural, these mighty gods? They're a bit confused. They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Again, their history is a bit sketchy, okay? The plagues were back in Egypt, not in the wilderness. But you can hear there's been a bit of like this broken telephone that's gone on. And they are just scared. So what do they say? Be strong, Philistines. Be men or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And so the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost about 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjaminite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when he arrived, there was Eli on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. And Eli heard the outcry and asked, what's the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old, and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. And he told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. The army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. And when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man, and he was heavy. And he had led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair. You've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. And she named the boy Ichabot, saying, The glory is gone from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory of God has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Wow. God is gone. Eli dies. Hophni and Phinehas are slaughtered. Eli's heart is broken. The ark of the covenant is captured. 
the ark that contained the tablets of the Lord teaching given to Moses in that direct encounter at Sinai. It contained Aaron's staff which had budded symbolizing the miracles that God had used to deliver them from Egypt in Egypt and then as they crossed the Red Sea and more. The ark contained a jar of manna which spoke of God's provision as he carried them through the wilderness. The ark was the testimony of all the things that God had done. But far more than that, there was these cherubim. And the passage says that the Lord is enthroned between the cherubim. So what the ark was, was a beaten gold at either end of a gold-covered box that flanked his footstool. But most important, between the cherubim was his mercy seat. This is where the Lord would meet with his people and once a year the priests would offer a sprinkling of blood on the day of atonement for the forgiveness of sins. What we actually have in this passage, and we could just keep reading and, and not realize it, but we have a disaster of such enormity for Israel that it is probably only surpassed in Jewish thinking by the fall and destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC when the whole nation got carried off into exile. So this time the nation is defeated but they still keep the land. But this time the nation is defeated and God is apparently captured and is carried away triumphantly by the enemy. I say apparently of course because that's what you would think if your theology put God in a box. And somehow that's where Israel had got to. Their faith and religion had become so formulaic, so reduced, so dumbed down that ultimately you end up with a limited God. And they're terrified when the Ark of the Covenant is captured because somehow they think that God himself has been captured. Israel has picked another fight with the Philistines, verse 1. they tired of serving them, the oppression, working without returns, tired of living off virtually nothing while the oppressors collect their dues whenever they want. And there's this first round, significant defeat. 4,000 die in battle. By the way, there's a bit of debate on the numbers more or less around do does that just represent a battalion which could have been less than etc etc so don't worry about the exact numbers it's sort of like a battalion or an x number so four battalions die next time city battalions gets wiped out but after the first time there's this orderly retreat back to the camp and then there is a commission of inquiry and the elders ask this good question in verse 3. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? And then if you look carefully at the text, you'll see the answer they came to. Why did the Lord bring defeat? They didn't answer their own question. There's, they ask a really significant question and they don't answer it. They simply come up with a completely parallel solution. Let's go and grab the ark of God from the tabernacle at Shiloh and let God go out and fight for us. 
You see, they weren't willing to actually do an honest interrogation as to where their own faith was, what their own moral condition was. They propose a quick fix and everyone likes it. Bringing the ark, that'll sort them. It doesn't require any soul searching. It doesn't require any repentance. No change is needed. You just go and get the God in the box and he's going to come and solve all your problems and defeat all your enemies. Great theology to have. If it works. If only they had wrestled with their own question. Why are we not willing? If only they'd let their thoughts bother them more. But their faith, inverted commas, is so misguided. Not sure they would have seen what they needed to. So instead of calling on God, they call on the ark. An old commentator called Matthew Henry, some of us have read his uh, Victorian English Having lost the reality and vitality of true religion, they become totally attached to its externals and its rituals. You know, the danger is we could also. Showing up on a Sunday or doing whatever we do or singing our songs, we can begin to think that those are the things that will save us. And their very religion with its priests and its sacrifices, its tabernacle and duties and doctrines, and supremely with the ark of God's presence, has blinded them to the fact that they don't know God himself. They're complete strangers now. Faith in ritual. Faith in ceremony. Faith in routine. Faith in lucky charms. Religion is reduced to magic. God is in the box. Just bring the box and the battle will be fine. doesn't matter that we're spiritually bankrupt, that our leaders are immoral, ignorant of God's will, that our priests are selfish and abusive. Just bring the box and then quote, that it may go with us and save us from our enemies. Now, we wouldn't be that crude, would we? We don't think of religion as magic. Then why do we get so upset when we sometimes are also defeated? When a marriage takes strain, where you just can't get enough money to get through the month. When you face hardship, disappointment, when your kids are breaking your heart, when your health is collapsing, when things you try and keep on failing, and you're tempted to look at your religion and at your God and say, what use are you to me? See, our faith gets tested in the defeats. It gets revealed. Nothing tests my doctrine more than my suffering and my defeats. You see, I'm essentially saying when I let all that stuff go, 
Why should I serve God when he lets this happen to me? Have you ever thought like that, felt like that? Why should I serve God when he doesn't perform? When he doesn't save me, when he doesn't, why should I, why should I pray? Why should I, I can't, I can't do another day's Bible reading. And I have to wrestle with, just my theology but my faith in my relationship with God who is master and who is servant see if I'll only serve him when he serves me and I'll only trust him when he gives me the victories I expect. I'm the God. I'm the master. And he's just the means. Our generation is in danger of redefining God. We want him to be a guarantee against failure, disappointment, and defeat. He's kind of like the ultimate domesticated pet and he needs to be happy with his kennel at the back door, and he must defend my way of life from any intruders, but he must keep his feet off my furniture. The God in the box. Mark Buchanan, the pastor, tells the story of doing a funeral for a lady who said she was a Christian. Many of her kids and grandchildren, uh, well, they had a religion. And he says at the, at the memorial, I spoke the gospel. And afterwards, one of the kids came to me, one of her children came to me and said, thank you. That was so nice, what you said. It was really so nice. I'm religious too. In fact, the family always asked me to pray for the weather when we go uh, play golf. And that's the God of the 21st century. The God of nice weather. The God of good golf. The safe, domesticated God we can keep in his theological kennel just in case we need him. Humor him, yes. You know, give him a little bit of pellets so that he doesn't mumble and groan, sure. Worship him, revere him, change my life for him, surrender to him. You've got to be kidding. Walk away from all my alliances, all the things I depend on, all my idols. You have got to be joking. Put a friendship at risk for the sake of the dog at the back door. You have got to be kidding me. My relationships are far more important. Open my life to him. Cry out for mercy to him. Ask him to forgive me. You're asking too much. See, when the God in the box starts being seen for the God who he is, he can't stay in the box. And by the way, next week we'll have some real fun because the Philistines discover that the God in the box is much bigger than the box. You know, we're talking about cascading faith through generations. One of the tragedies would be 
that not our kids are, <sighs> that our kids are not rejecting our faith. They're just bored by its sheer predictability. God is so tame. So what are the consequences of serving a God that we've invented for our own convenience? Well, the first one is, and it's in the text, our enemies defeat us. At least they keep us where they want us. We forfeit the power of God and we end up living without victory. And this promise of power, this Pentecost promise, you know, Leading Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus tells us that power is available. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, etc., etc. Adrian thinks it's heresy. I don't finish the verse word for word. But we do get to the ends of the earth. But remember this, it's power to be His witnesses. It's power to do His task. He's not saying, I will give you power so that you do what you want. I'm giving you power so that at last, from the inside out, you can do what I want. You see, the story of the old covenant is that people had again and again tried to do the will of God in their own strength and found themselves failing. Jesus is promising us the power to be His witnesses, His servants, not the other way around. The danger is that when we've got this very neat, tidy, God who keeps me safe theology, that we conclude that He's powerless when it's our own actions that see us defeated. God is not powerless. It's just the crummy image that we have of Him. Maybe this uh, thought, why should God defend my heresy? Heresies when you've got bad God thoughts. When you're thinking about God is not aligning with who He is. God's got no interest in propping up my lousy theology. Consequence number one. When we tame God and put him in his kennel and box at the back door, our enemy defeats us. Consequence number two. We have a reverse Pentecost. Instead of the presence of God coming... Israel has to go, the presence of God is gone. There's this double lament of Phineas's wife. The glory has departed from Israel. Now, we don't know her theology, whether she just, it was still stuck in the religious symbol, or whether in some way she was aware that actually in this defeat, what had already happened for decades was now only becoming obvious to everyone. You get the point? Like there had been no glory. There had been no 
grace. There had been no healing and hope. And so this defeat only makes public to the other nations what had already happened decades and generations before inside Israel. If only they had been honest in verse 3. Why did this defeat happen? If only they'd looked inside and not just look for the quick fix. If only they'd recognized how far they were from God and how little they knew of the comfort of his undying love. But a bit like Samson several generations before in Judges 16 verse 20, they, Samson woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And this brutal line, but Samson did not realize that the Lord had left him. But this is Old Testament, we say. <laughs> Didn't Jesus say, I am with you always to the very end of the age? Indeed he did, just after the line, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's the people who are doing his command called disciples that are reassured of his presence. We can rest in the promise of his presence, in the hope of his grace and love. It's just that when, like Hophni and Phinehas, our hearts have become hard, or like Eli, we want God and. We just, we're just so torn. I mean, right up until the end of Eli's life, you can see he's... He's worried. He's anxious. He has no peace. He's worried for God. The God in the box. And a little bit like Eli, who had lost his physical sight. He was completely blind by the time he died. Today we can say, truly, if you love the Lord and you've wandered from Him and His ways... It's not that he isn't there, it's that you can't see him. He won't leave you. But there's something about the manifest, obvious presence of God. Our enemies defeat us. We feel as though God has left us. And number three, Our legacy is a generation of spiritual orphans who succeed us. There's this lucky charm theology, the presumption they could live as they like. God will guarantee my good life. They fail to listen to God. They don't answer their question, why did God let us lose this battle? But most tellingly, as we've read up until now in the previous chapters, the sobering tragedy of Eli's half-heartedness who wanted God and, and who valued his kids more than God. And too late, and this chapter brings us to this point, 
he learns this. That if I value my children more than I value God, eventually I lose both. Eventually, I lose both. It's only one way to make sure that I don't leave a generation of spiritual orphans. And that is to love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind and with all my strength. We think that valuing our kids more will save them. We're mistaken. It's when we give ourselves to the Lord first and fully that we give our kids a legacy that can last. The greatest legacy Eli could have given his sons would have been to put God first. Not just hearing God's words, but actually living them. But now Shiloh stands his grandson must begin life as an orphan. Israel is at a 500-year low. That's a long time. But God is not finished. See, in the grand story of the gospel, God has made us <clears throat> to know him to reveal him and to represent him on the earth, to be stewards of his goodwill and purpose on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, in the grand story of the gospel, we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, starting in Genesis 3, where our first spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, sin, and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the, uh, the glory of God. But as the story continues, there is a promise of redemption. And that story goes through some highs and through some lows. And in today, we're at one of the deepest lows where even the people who thought they were following God and they had their church and they had their stuff discover that they have completely missed Him. And still God says, I'm not giving up. We'll see next week how in a foreign land God begins to act to reclaim his place in the lives of his people and in the generations that follow. And ultimately that generation upon generation will bring us to the person of Jesus and, and release us into the glory of his heart. And he is the one who says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I want you to remain in my love. Next verse. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full and complete. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You see, the truth of it is that we need sometimes to wrestle with our defeats. Not just gloss them over. Not just think, what's the quick fix? Is there an absence that I need to admit? 
Is there turning? Is there changing? See, the danger is that I want a fix that requires no humbling. No cost. God says, I have a remedy. In repentance and rest, Isaiah 15, uh, 30 verse 15, will be your deliverance, will be your salvation. I want you to turn to the real God. Can I say this? To the God who will never accept your terms. He's not going to take the kennel at the door. He's not going to be happy to take whatever you'll give him. He's going to be God. Two weeks time, Samuel's going to show us a little bit of what that's like. He's going to be God. And you will be the servant. You want to change that in any way. Not only will the enemy win, but your legacy will be lost. But if you will receive him, if you will accept him, redemption is promised. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Let's pray together. What a day to say this. Won't you stand with me? As we respond. Maybe you want to just open your heart and if it's going to help you have a posture of openness to God. What a day to say, come Holy Spirit, come. We don't want the glory to leave. <laughs> we want your glory to come. 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 Come Holy Spirit. Thank you Lord. Oh, yes. Let's just wait on him. It's good to wait on the Lord. He says, I love you. I want you to remain in my love.
I don't know if you feel like you've had God in a box. Like he's, he's got his place. I want to promise you God has never been inside that box. He's never accepted your terms. He's bigger than it. He's wider than it. He's further than it. <laughs> he's greater than it. So I want to invite you in your imagination to take the sledgehammer of God's word and break that box today. Like God, I just, I'm breaking the box. Like you don't belong there. You should never have been there. I'm sorry. I think that I have had your number and I've put you in your place. Today I say no. I want you to be Lord of my life, Lord of my legacy, Lord of what follows, Lord of what happens today, what happens tomorrow. I want to break the box. I want you to be God. haven't got boxes for you to break. I don't know what you need to do, but I want you to just break the boxes and see that God is so much greater, so much bigger. As the box breaks and now there's just little pieces, maybe you want to do a little victory dance and go, you're staying here. Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty, I want to walk with you. to the fountain dip your heart in the streams of life let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy as deep cries out to we sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. 
are we? Come to the fountain, dip your heart in the streams of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy. Deep cry, Holy Spirit, come. We, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You welcome in the place. bless you to be free God's not in the box he's God it stops you from having to be God it stops you from having to take control and manage everything you can trust him you can trust him he's not in the box he's among his people and he's Lord of all So, Father, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of marriage pressures, in the midst of financial strain, in the midst of parenting heartache or challenge, in the midst of friendships under strain, we're saying we look to you, not as a formula, but as master as leader and yes as savior we look to you we look to you thank you lord if you'd like prayer i'm just going to ask the guys to keep praying a bit maybe you want to just pray with folk there it's going to be tea and coffee as well if you'd like to come to the you know just to the front here there'll be some of us here as well you're welcome we're just going to keep a little bit of space to allow us some yeah, business end opportunities where if you need to pray with someone you're welcome to do that thanks so much folks and God bless you Lord, what the 